This is a companion podcast to my Fox Nation special, Riddle, The Search for James R. Hoffa. Be sure to go to foxnation.com to watch the whole show. And now, Riddle, the podcast. I'm Eric Sean, and welcome to Riddle, the podcast. My in-depth conversations with those involved in our Fox Nation special, Riddle, the search for James R. Hoffa, and my Fox News reporting. Thanks for listening. For the next 26 minutes, you'll hear from Matt Birkbeck, an award-winning investigative journalist and author. He was a reporter for the Morning Call in northeastern Pennsylvania. That gave him a ringside seat to the goings-on of the Buffalino crime family. He wrote the book about its boss called The Quiet Dawn. The Untold Story of Mafia Kingpin, Russell Buffalino. But first, let me get you quickly up to speed. Jimmy Hoffa, he disappeared on July 30th, 1975 from the parking lot of the Marcus Red Fox restaurant in Bloomfield Hills, Michigan. It was believed he was headed to a meeting with Detroit mob boss Anthony Tony Jack Ciacalone and New Jersey Genovese captain and Teamster official Tony Tony Pro Provenzano. Well, in 2001, Buffalino crime family member and Teamster official Frank Sharon, an admitted mafia killer, he told me he shot Hoffa in a house in Detroit. I met him as part of his proposed biography, which became the book I Heard You Paint Houses. In 2004, we went to that house. We pulled up the tiles on the hardwood floor, and we actually found blood. The pattern fit Sharon's story precisely. The greatest amount of the possible evidence was in front of the foyer closet door, where Sharon says Hoffa hit his head on the floor. Seven drops went down the hallway to the kitchen, where Sharon says Hoffa's body was dragged out by two accomplices and was cremated. The FBI did find blood. They said one drop was inconclusive in terms of a DNA match. Another one was to an unknown male. There was no match to Hoffa which is why I am calling on the government to release all of the Hoffa FBI investigation files fully now. Let the Hoffa family and the American public know what's been secret for so long and that we have been denied knowing and retest the blood evidence we found using the latest DNA technology. Now, here's Matt Birkbeck. Matt, bring me back to the beginning. How did you get involved in covering Jimmy Hoffa, Frank Sharon and Russell Buffalino. You wrote the book, The Quiet Dawn, the untold story of mafia kingpin Russell Buffalino, who most people haven't heard about until now. I wasn't really familiar with him when I first started this back in 2004, 2005. At the time, I was a newspaper reporter uh, in Pennsylvania covering uh, casino gambling. Pennsylvania was going to get into the casino business. Um, they had approved legislation um, to bring seven or eight casinos to the state. And one of the applicants was from Northeast Pennsylvania, and his name was Louis de Naples, and he was a, he was a billionaire businessman, but he also had longstanding uh, alleged mob ties uh, going back to Russell Buffalino. And so we were keeping an eye on his application as it was going through the motions, and then it was approved. And then in 2007, um, he was, it was a grand jury investigation 
uh, into how he got that approval. And that's when Buffalino's name started popping up, as well as some other folks from Northeast PA, including a guy by the name of William D'Elia. And so from 2007 and then until 2010, I just wrote a series of investigative pieces just outlining what a farce this entire gaming situation was, but also getting in deep into uh, not just uh, the Naples, but also into uh, Buffalino. And uh, it was also during, during this period of time when I first spoke with Charlie Brandt, who had uh, written a book. And he, uh, and he was actually a pretty good reference point for me, given the work he had done with Frank Sharon. And he was, he was looking for someone other than Sharon. He was looking for someone to basically confirm Sharon's story. And I had developed sources within what remained of the Buffalino family. And they had confirmed to me what Frank had written, uh, well, actually what Frank, Frank Sharon had done uh, and what Charlie had written. So uh, that was my introduction into the uh, Hoffa's story, and then my book came out in 2013. So let me stop you right there for a second. So what you're saying is that members of the Buffalino crime family, your sources in the family, confirmed the story that Frank Sharon uh, says that uh, he killed Jimmy Hoffa in that house in Detroit? The sources that I had developed over the course of five, five years or so uh, confirmed to me, yeah, they confirmed to me the the, the, ba- the thesis of this of uh, Charlie's story, or what Frank told him was that Sharon was the shooter. There were some different parts of the story that they said were wrong, but the basic um, thesis that it was uh, Sharon under Buffalino's orders uh, that was accurate. Did they get into, uh, or was this the time uh, into the blood evidence that we found in the house? As you know, Frank told me when I when I met him. As part of the the, the investigation uh, before the book was published, and he said he killed Jimmy Hoffa and told me with Charlie there, and I asked where the house was, and that's how we all got to the house. Did they get into any specifics about blood evidence? Did they talk about any of the reporting? Did they back have any evidence that they would say that they could back all this up? No, it wasn't. It wasn't those kind of conversations. <laughs> these, were convers- these were conversations, as you know, you're a reporter. These are the kind of conversations you have far away, um, in distant diners or other locations, and you know you're talking quietly to people, and they're they're confirming things to you. Um, I was happy enough just to. I mean, and these were also kind of you know. I mean, I had these sources, but it, I, I didn't necessarily feel completely comfortable there either. So, um, as you can imagine, so. Um, you know, the, the basic, the basic, um, premise of the story, they confirmed, you know, the actual details, uh, they didn't get into, they did talk to me a bit about Sharon though, and that they just did not like him at all. He was probably, you know, even for violent mob characters, Sharon was a dark character to them. Mm. Um, tell me so about that. I, I, I found that really interesting. Well, basically, you know, I mean, Sharon, and, and I wrote about it in my book. And, um, you know, so I get into it at length and he was a, um, his, his sole purpose for Buffalino was as a hitman, as a killer. Um, that was it from the day they met, uh, Buffalino knew what he was getting into with Sharon, what he wanted to use him for. Um, Sharon benefited from it over the years and that he would get different teamster positions, but over the course of 20, 30 years or so, He's killing people. I mean, in the mid-1980s, he's involved in a bombing um, in Maryland. And so that was his 
sole purpose, and he was just a very dark, uh, violent figure. And uh, no one I had talked to, um, the word was that no one had really liked him. Yeah, when I met him, he was very kind of overpowering. He had a, uh, a kind of a, a blunt personality. Uh, he reminded me, he, I, I remember after I left, I'm thinking that guy is right out of the 1940s. And yeah. there was only other one, uh, one other mob mob guy who I met, uh, who, who I knew, um, Joe Piney, Joe Piney Ramon Capo in the in the uh, Gambino crime family under John Gotti. Same type of gravelly, intense, uh, solid type of personality. Y- yet Frank also had the Irish wit or the glimmer in his eye, uh, in a sense. So I could see it going both ways. But but it's fascinating that you say that even among the mob guys, they didn't. They were maybe scared of him and didn't like him. Uh, absolutely, because you would know what he could do. Yeah, absolutely. They didn't like him. Um, I think he scared them, uh, which was a testament to his ability to wreak havoc uh, on individuals. And um, I, I, that was one of the things I remembered from my conversations was what they told me about Frank Sheeran. Let's talk about the boss, Russell Buffalino, who has uh, emerged as uh, one of the most powerful and respected uh, members of uh, organized crime in the United States among that, the underworld. Yet, when you think of the mob, you think of the Gambinos and Genovese and Al Capone and, and all the others. Uh, why did he slip under the radar? He is such a power, and uh, as Frank Sheeran says and others, behind the murder of Jimmy Hoffa. Uh, it was simply his location. Uh, no one could believe, not law enforcement, um, not the, you know, either the FBI or the Justice Department, uh, could believe that a mob boss from Pennsylvania, of all places, could sway such power over organized crime. They didn't really understand um, what he was part of. I mean, you're talking about a man who um, trained under Stefano Magadino in Buffalo, who was one of the original members of the commission, um, who grew up in Buffalo after coming here as, a, as an infant from Sicily. Um, later married and moved to northeast pennsylvania and you know from there he got his tentacles into the teamsters union which was so so big for him and having uh input and control over not just the teamsters but the central states pension fund which was a cash cow back in the 1950s and 60s um and then he was involved in uh, the garment industry where he owned the 30 or 40 dress manufacturing uh, factories in Pennsylvania that supplied garments uh, that would be sold in New York City. But he also spent half his time in New York. He was, you know, he had a restaurant, Vesuvio, in Midtown. So he would split his time going back and forth. So he was living this very stealth-like life, which he learned from Magadino. And he basically kind of flew under the radar of the press, of law enforcement, was able to become arguably one of the most powerful organized crime figures in the country yeah he uh, his schedule as you lay out in the book uh he would spend monday through wednesday in new york city drive from uh, pennsylvania had vesuvia which is a well-known mafia hangout west 47th street that was surveilled and then uh he would spend uh, the thursday friday saturday at uh, medico industries that was his company uh yeah yeah and well respected and well known and even uh, supposedly took over control of the Gen- Genovese crime family as a caretaker at one point? 
in the 1970s, he did. Um, at one point in time, he not just had his family, but he controlled Magadino family in Buffalo, and he controlled the Genovese family. He was actually brought in twice to oversee the Genovese family. That is huge. Uh, I mean, that is a huge testament in that world. Absolutely, and it just it was just it was it was a testament to what they thought of him, and it was also a testament to his power. It was arguably there was no one more powerful in the mid nineteen seventies than Russell Buffalino. Yeah, we hear the all the other names of Castellano who took over from after Carlo Gambino died, but it's so astounding and interesting and fascinating how uh, Russell, uh, known as McGee, was his nickname, uh, as you say, flew under the radar yet was so in command of the Genovese, which were considered the Harvard of, of uh, organized crime. Uh, he met Frank Sheeran, so the story goes when Frank's truck breaks down at one point. You talk about Frank Sheeran being dark and Russell Buffalino. Do you believe that Buffalino was indeed behind the murder of Jimmy Hoffa, behind the plot, uh, or and was involved in that Frank Sheeran carried it out? Uh, well, what I would learn through my work and through the various, you know, over the years and um, in, in putting this book, book together, you know, Charlie's story, and I heard you paint houses, was that uh, by 1975, uh, Jimmy Hoffa was just infuriating uh, all of organized crime in that he wanted to regain uh, the, his prior role as head of the Teamsters Union, and the Teamsters were doing just fine at the time under Franklin Simmons and no one wanted to be part of Hoffa again, and that he was killed because he was threatening to spill secrets. Um, but what I had learned, what I had put together was just incredible in that there was an uh, investigation going on at the time in Washington. The Senate sub subcommittee was investigating the CIA, and it's used in part its use of organized crime um, to kill foreign leaders, specifically Fidel Castro. And Buffalino was involved. He had been recruited in these, in these um, CIA plots. He had actually been recruited by Hoffa. He was the conduit. And others that were involved with Sam Giancana and Johnny Roselli. And so as this committee is uh, moving along in 1975, and as more and more pressure is being brought to bear by mob leaders to do something about Hoffa, Buffalino loved Jimmy Hoffa. And he knew that he was just blowing smoke, or at least in his mind, he thought Hoffa was just blowing smoke, and he would never, ever spill any secrets. So he was basically responsible to kept Hoffa alive until June of 1975. And that's when Time Magazine ran an article about the CIA mafia plots and identified Buffalino as being part of it. And now subpoenas were going out. Sam Giancana was subpoenaed, and Johnny Roselli was subpoenaed, and Hoffa was going to be subpoenaed. So within two weeks after that article appeared, uh, Sam Giancana is murdered at his home in Chicago. And then roughly a month later, Jimmy Hoffa disappears. And then after that, Johnny Roselli, or what remained of him, uh, was found in a 55-gallon drum in a, in a bay in Florida. And the plan that was put in motion was by Buffalino, basically to wipe out anyone that was uh, even remotely involved uh, in the CIA mafia plots. So it was somewhat astounding when I first heard it, and then I you know, did my due diligence in terms of you know, going through the whole, the whole scenario, but it was an incredible story, and uh, 
as far as I'm concerned, it's a true story. Yeah, there's uh, several, as you point out, uh, motives that have been said that uh, Jimmy wanted to get back to the Teamsters, that he had that beef with Tony Pro Provenzano over over money, or a Las Vegas strip land deal that came through. But as you point out, and you pointed this out in the book, June 9th, 1975, the Time Magazine article headline, CIA Mafia Spies in Cuba, and reported all that. And this is what you write uh, in the book, that at the time... Uh, as Hoffa was trying to uh, lobby to get back into the union uh, and boasting to, uh, to that he was going to get it back and he wanted revenge. Let me read the page uh, 214. Hoffa didn't just want the Teamsters back. He wanted his revenge against those who stripped him of his title and forced him to part ways with the organization he'd helped build while spilling his own blood. That means the, the mob guys. For his part, Buffalino kept reassuring others, including Santo Traficante and Carlos Marcello, that Hoffa was simply boasting, but Buffalino's tone quickly changed after he was named in the Time article, and he once again called on his old friend, Frank Sharon. So your sense is the motive really may have been uh, instigated by that Time magazine article. Absolutely. It went, it went above and beyond Hoffa and his boasting and went to... Buffalino cutting ties with people that were uh, that knew about his involvement in the CIA mafia plots. And then there's an unknown question, and that is the role of the CIA. I didn't write about it uh, in the book, but it did come up. And I'm not saying that there was a role, but there are people that I have spoken to since who believe that there was that there was there was a role. Um, a, a role of the CIA in Hoffa's disappearance? In everyone, all of them. Um, because this was really sensitive. They were, they were getting into sensitive territory here. I mean, you think about it. This is a whole other area now. We're not just talking about organized crime. We're talking about the CIA. We're talking about the government. We're talking about, you know, um, uh, you know, this, this, this is just something that was just completely above and beyond what um, had been going on within the Teamsters and within organized crime circles. So, what so that was... I was just going to say, what you're saying potentially is, well, you have suspicions, uh, and we're going to a whole other area, which is that the CIA could have been involved in the disappearance of Jimmy Hoffa through the mob guys, maybe, or else, elsewhere, because, as you point out in that Time, Time Magazine article, uh, they don't have an interest in any of this being made public, of their connections to uh, mafia members to try and knock off Fidel Castro. Correct, and let's not discount that Buffalino was, was such a powerful figure and still likely had his ties um, to the CIA, going back to the CIA mafia plots. Because uh, there were two other guys that were involved with him. Buffalino uh, was going to, when the Bay of Pigs occurred, Buffalino was going to go back to the island, um, and he had two of his guys on the boat with him because he had left money behind. The story is about a million dollars. Um and those two guys that were with him on the boat, they were killed, or they were murdered, murdered years later. So everyone that was part of this, that knew Buffalino, um, uh, was murdered. And so it was, I, was, I never really looked into it other than it, it was part of conversation. It was brought to me. It was mentioned to me by people who um, I have great regard for. And it was, it's something that's been out there. It's one of the questions as it relates to Jimmy Hoffa. And I think, I think it's been discussed before, mm -hmm. whether, or not, whether or not the CIA was or was not involved in any of this. Um, I don't think anyone's really pursued it, but it's something that has come up. Yeah, and I want to point out that uh, Russell uh, died of natural causes. He uh, 
you know, was convicted uh, but died in federal prison of natural causes. And this raises something else that we are calling for at Fox News and at Fox Nation and in our in our news special. The government should release all the FBI files unredacted. There have been several Freedom of Information Act requests. Uh, the uh, successful one was the Detroit Free Press. We have a lot of the material. A lot of it is blacked out. Would you be for and would you call on the government to release the files unredacted, completely open? You have two suspects, major suspects alive. Both have denied involvement. Well, well both took the fifth before the grand jury in 1975. Chucky O'Brien and Tommy Andretta. Chucky's in his 80s living in Florida in a gated community through a sources close to him. Uh, I am told he does not want to talk. He denied involvement in an AP interview in 2006. Tommy Andretta has not responded to our requests for comment or an interview. Uh, Matt, would you call on the government to just lay it all out there? Uh, of course. I mean, as a journalist, I would love to see that. Uh, you know, I had, when I did my book and I did my original reporting, had, um, you know, uh, requested and received FBI files on a number of different people, um, you know, including Buffalino. What was interesting about Buffalino, though, was that there were periods of his life where I couldn't get them, um, which, again, brings me back to this CIA conversation. Uh whether or not they will actually release those files in regarding Hoffa, that's that's a big question. Uh, I mean, if, you know, let's say all this reporting is accurate uh, regarding, you know, his role with the CIA, that he was the conduit to people like Buffalino uh, and Sam Giancana, and that the CIA had had a role in his disappearance and, and murder, um, I'm not sure that that's something that they would really want to get out there. That, that would be an astounding bombshell, certainly. And, and I'm sure that a lot of the answers uh, and the truth, basically, is in the papers and is in the stuff that the government is holding back and keeping secret. I mean, when we were at the House in 2004, and I've confirmed this through law enforcement sources and others, that the FBI tried to get to the House to beat us. They wanted to get to the House and, and even hold a news conference about it before we were able to put the story on the air we fortunately were able to get the story up uh, and out there it, would well, you clearly, go ahead yeah i would i mean yeah obviously i would but i mean clearly that they're concerned about it um you know given all the work that you've done and now all this attention that's going to be placed on this case again uh, regarding you know with the movie coming out and uh, you know people are going to go back and revisit the books that have been written about it and all this uh, history you know and you've got these other dark corners that haven't really been explored, they've been touched on, and haven't been really dug into. And I'm sure that there are some people that just don't want anyone to see them or get, you know, shine a light on them. Yeah. So, uh, I'd be for, of course, I'd be for releasing every single document that's available out there. I mean, how many years are we out now? We're, we're at, what, 25, 35, 43 years? 1975. After, and after Hoffa disappeared, yeah. And the two suspects, uh, the major ones that I mentioned, they, they have already been publicly named. In the FBI's Hoffex memo, so the Bureau's own work has been made public that names them uh, already. The movie you referred to is The Irishman, Netflix, will be the last great mob movie, Martin Scorsese, Robert De Niro, starring as Frank Sharon Al Pacino, also um, 
in that film. Just, just, just amazing. So there'll be a lot of light on that. Do you also think that the blood evidence that we found should be retested? Because it's been 15 years, and there have been advances of DNA technology. Um, Absolutely. I mean, and you would know better than I than I would. I mean, I thought what you did. I thought it was great work that you did. Oh, thank you. House and, and digging that up, and sure, absolutely. You know, of course, and there have been great advances made uh, in in DNA technology. So, um, I think I think I think every everything and anything should be done to try to solve this, or at least officially solve this mystery. Yeah, Ed Barnes, uh, my producer, and I, we were uh, at the house and of the, the uh, professional retired Michigan State Police detectives who do this sprayed luminol on the floor, and we found uh, uh, a blood pattern and with the suspected blood drops, and there were uh, there were confirmed blood, no DNA match. It was in the exact pattern that Frank Sheeran described, Going down, seven drops going down the hall where the uh, mob accomplices, Frank says, dragged Jimmy's body down the hallway. Uh, and does it bother you that there wasn't a DNA match? Uh, does that dissuade no, you at no, not at all, because that house could have been used so many times to do something similar. So, and then, of course, they're going to clean it up. So, um, it doesn't mean, I mean, if anything, if they could prove that the blood was his, then, then that would be great. But the fact that they didn't find any blood, then no, that doesn't, that doesn't bother me at all. Yeah, that pattern, what gets me is the pattern. Go to, what are the chances of going into your house or any house and having a pattern of blood and, and, and material and on your floor that fits Frank Sharon's story exactly of how Jimmy Hoffa was whacked. Uh, I mean, exactly. So finally, Matt, after investigation, investigations in your writing, um, what do you take away mostly from the story? I mean, the, the fact that someone like Russell Buffalino was, it, has not been portrayed in the literature except your book or in the, the public imagination that this thing was carried out and still so many decades later, uh, despite the FBI's attempts, uh, no one was ever charged. Uh, you know, again, you know, when it comes to organized crime, it's the families that are in the, the big cities, like the New York families or in Chicago, that have always gotten the headlines. Um, and, you know, as I said earlier, to think that someone who's from northeastern Pennsylvania of all places had such great control and power and influence uh, over not just organized crime, but you're talking about, you know, um, the Teamsters Union, it, you know. Um, so to, that just, you know, it is it just for that to, to escape radar to me was remarkable. I mean, you do find as a journalist, you do find characters like this from time to time. Um, but given his what he was involved with, I mean, it was even, you know, it was even talk about him being involved uh, potentially in the Kennedy assassination, which I know, you know, Sharon claimed to have uh, picked up rifles and dropped them off. Um, and so he was just such an, an incredible figure. Um, but I think, you know, clearly the reason why this has never, ever been solved is because of the uh, involvement, in, in my mind, of the CIA and the government and all that was going on between you know, you had this unholy alliance between the CIA and organized crime. You had Hoffa there, too. Hoffa benefited from his organized crime associations, particularly with Buffalino and Buffalino's cousin, William Buffalino, who was the Teamsters um, attorney. Um, so, you know, you, these guys are all mixed in with each other. You're talking about the 1950s and 1960s. Um, you know, a period when the FBI is kind of just really learning about 
the uh, uh, the mob and its impact and its influence in the country. Uh, and then you get to the mid seventies and you're hearing whenever you hear a little whenever you hear talk about things like this, you know, people are just dropping little hints about CIA involvement in this and CIA involvement in that. And then you look back twenty years, you see, oh my God, they were involved with each other. You know, there's something bigger there. So um, I think that I'm not sure we'll ever get to the truth. Perhaps with the release of the um, documents, that would help. Um, otherwise, I think it will just remain uh, a mystery. Well, suspicions that there were undercurrents of the uh, CIA sources, assets, or motivations, absolutely fascinating, and it's something that uh, we will all continue to try and follow and investigate. And let me just leave everyone with the last line of, of your book, The Quiet Dawn. Quote, the Buffalino family is far more alive and powerful than ever before, and the legacy of The Quiet Dawn continues to live on, and I think soon... Uh, the whole country will learn much more about The Quiet Dawn, Russell Buffalino. Matt Birkbeck, thank you. The book is The Quiet Dawn, the untold story of Mafia Kingpin, Russell Buffalino. And thank you for being involved in our coverage and our reporting, Matt, and, and being on the, our special riddle. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening today. Check out all the other riddle podcasts. You can also follow me on Twitter and Facebook. And just Google my name. Put Frank Sherwin next to it or Jimmy Hoffa and you can see the other articles we've written and you can keep up with my reporting on Fox News. I'm Eric Sean. Thanks again for Riddle, the podcast. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.